And now, WBW Theater. Welcome to WBW Theater. Listen to a series of radio dramas, comedies, mysteries, thrillers, westerns, all dedicated to preserving the golden age of radio. Those thrilling days of yesteryear, way back when families gathered together around the living room radio to join the theater of the mind. Listen now as we take you way back when imagination ruled and creativity had no limits. Listen now to WBW Theater. Wake up, America. Time to stump the experts. Each week at this time, H.J. Hines Company, makers of the famous 57 varieties, gives you information, please. A quartet of experts is on hand to answer your questions. Send them to information, please, at 570 Lexington Avenue, New York, 22, New York. We may edit them a bit, and in case of similarity, you'll have to accept our judgment of who shall be paid. If we use your question, the H.J. Hines Company will send $10 in war stamps, plus a copy of the Encyclopedia Britannica World Atlas. If we muff the question, you get $57 in war bonds and stamps, plus a 24-volume set of the regular Encyclopedia Britannica. All questions remain our property. Information, please, is presented under the supervision of Dan Golenpaul. And now, our Master of Ceremonies, Clifton Fadiman. Ladies and gentlemen, information, please, unrehearsed and spontaneous as ever, continues along on its carefree path, the panel of experts tonight consisting of John Kieran of the New York Sun, Franklin P. Adams and Oscar Levant, together with the distinguished novelist and farmer, Mr. Louis Bromfield. We're going to begin with a question coming to us from D.E. Quilter of Hoboken, New Jersey. <laughs> Mr. Quilter wants to know what comic character is brought to mind by these authors. Uh, get two out of three. The first author is Nietzsche. What comic character is brought to mind, Mr. Bromfield? Well, let's say Adolf Hitler. Uh, well, he isn't quite <laughs> as comic as he's going to be pretty soon. Mr. Uh, Superman. Superman. Man and Superman by Nietzsche, and uh, this one does more things than Nietzsche's Superman. Yes. Uh, Man and Superman is, of course, a play by Shaw. But uh, the idea of the Superman you it's find in what? Nietzsche. Yes, throughout his yeah. works, perhaps Sarah's particularly in what book? Isn't it Sprague? Jerry Ibermensch. Well, it's the book, and you find Sarah, it in the book about Zarathustra. Zarathustra. Yes. Zarathustra. That's right. And we have the uh, cartoonist character Superman. Uh, I doubt these cartoonists, or very good ones, have read Nietzsche, and they haven't... I read Nietzsche. Life. How'd you like him? He's wonderful. One I mean, I don't... Nature, yeah. makes the whole world kin. How about this one from James Whitcomb Riley? A comic character. Mr. Adams. Little Orphan Annie. Mm, that's right. A little Orphan Annie uh, from uh, Mr. Riley's poem called what, Mr. Adams? Little Orphan Annie. Nice work. Uh, how about a comic character was brought to mind by the author Clarence Day, Jr.? Pardon me, on the Whitcomb Riley. Isn't Barefoot Boy by Whitcomb Riley? No. No, well, I'm wrong. Witty. Mm. Is there a Barefoot Boy who's a comic strip Yeah, character? Little Abner. He was about six years ago. No. He was. He got shoes now. <laughs> uh, did we get the answer on Clarence Day, Jr.? No. Uh, Mr. Adams? Life with Father. Life with Father. Oh, oh, you mean the comic character. I'm uh, at a comic strip character. Bringing up Father. Bringing up Father. father. Who is the uh, artist of that strip? Mr. McManus. Yeah. Jiggs. Yeah, it's McManus. Mm. Bringing up Father. You were reminded of that by Clarence Day, Jr.'s. Uh, life with Father, which, as Mr. Adams reminds us, has been turned into a play. Now, how about this one from Murray Gladstone of New York City? This is a music question, and I think we ought to get all parts on it. The pianist will play the 
secondo of three four-hand piano pieces from an album called Piano Duets for Children. You are to name the pieces. All right, Mr. Khan. Now I have two hands, Mr. Kieran. It sounds like the swan, or senior. The, uh... That's right. By yes, Saint the senior. By Saint-Saëns, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, Mr. Kahn, would you play the melody for us? That's right. Mr. Kieran, you must have, uh, at one time learned how to, uh, play as a No, I child. heard it before. It's a very banal piece. <laughs> it certainly is. Thank you, Oscar. <laughs> it well, really it is. It wasn't banal enough for Bromfield and Adams to know it. That's why That's it's why. Been, everybody knows it. Oh, did you know it, Mr. Bromfield, Mr. Adams? You're referring to banal? <laughs> no, I, I'm saying banal. What do you say? I say banal. I say banal. What do you say, Levant? It's a, not a nice... It's a very tiresome piece. Tiresome piece. Banal, I think. All right, try the next one. Mr. Levan. I'll sing it. Tramaraya, banal piece. By Schumann. Tramaraya by Schumann, as Mr. Kieran reminds us. That's right, Mr. Levan. That is still banal? That's banal. Oh, that's banal. How about the third and last? Brumfield. <laughs> yeah. That's a Nietzsche's dance, and that's certainly banal. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear. Let's hear the melody of that, Mr. Carr. Well, I guess that was pretty easy. All right, pass on to the next one. Maybe we can catch you on this question from E.H. Marsh of London, Ontario, Canada. This is about marriage, gentlemen. Suppose a marriage were arranged between the following characters of literature. Would the marriage be a success or a failure, in your opinion, Mr. Anthony? You ought to explain your answer. <laughs> now, the first set of characters is George Apley and Cassie Struthers. If uh, such a marriage were arranged, uh, Mr. Uh, Levant. Well, Apley would be all right because he uh, wasn't happy in his marriage. Apley would be all right for whom? No, I'm wrong. I, I got Apley mixed up with Pullum, so I no. withdraw. Uh, now, Mr. Well, one's young and one's old. Yeah. Mr. Brumfield, what did you have? Well, any? I can't figure... I don't remember who Cassie Struthers was. I know it's in my mind. I know George Apley is, but... You Cass have no idea who Cassie Struthers was? I can't remember. I know her the name, but I don't remember where it's from. That's the oddest thing. It's your own character. <laughs> 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 You've done that to me once before. <laughs> your characters just don't stick in your mind. <laughs> now I remember who it was. Who yes, I think it? it'd be an ideal marriage. Why? Who, who well, was because, Cassie Struthers? Well, Cassie Struthers was sort of the last run of Shad in New England, and so was George Apley, and they would get on fine, I think. Uh, how, if you wanted to find Cassie Struthers, in what book would you find her? It would be in Early Autumn, I oh, think. Oh, you do remember the title I of think it would be. Well, that's very good, yes. They were both uh, puritanical yeah. folks, I guess. Those decadent Puritans might get along <laughs> pretty well. You think that would be a happy marriage? I think they ought to get on. All Late right. in life, they ought to marry, but otherwise... <laughs> Who shouldn't? How about Mistress Nell Quickly and Sidney Carton? Who's Would the they... first? Mistress Nell Quickly and Sidney Carton. Uh, Mr. Akiran. Well, uh, Mistress Quickly, uh, you mean a Shakespearean, Miss Quickly? Do you know another one? Well, there may have been <laughs> others that I didn't know, and Sidney Carton might have got on uh, very well Why? because Sidney uh, drank copiously and the lady kept the tavern. 
Yes, but I disagree with that because Why? Sidney Cotton was a prig in a way, and uh, Dame Quickly had a very good time. I don't think that he would have disapproved of her very much sooner or later. You know, I think drink or no drink, he would have disapproved no very drink. much of Dame Quickly after a time. Uh, I have a feeling Mr. Bromfield is right. He was a prig. He was kind up of up to the last minute. You don't like him at all? No, he was all right. He's a nice, noble fellow, but I mean, not very good company. Well, well you, <laughs> at least Mr. Bromfield, you remember his name. That's <laughs> a, the Mr. way Ronald Ryan. Coleman played him, he was no prig. I think not. <laughs> Well, he did. Uh, he did fall in love in in yeah. uh, Dickens's book with a sort of a angelic character, very well, different from. Uh, but he would be Mr. very Quickly. disapproving, even drunk, of Dame Quickly. I am inclined to. Think I that deny that. that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you think that? Uh, Certainly, Quickly. a man very fond of drink couldn't do better than to marry a woman who owned a saloon. That's plain. <laughs> he takes a very realistic point of view, Mister Kieran. I think psychologically, he's wrong, nonetheless. How about uh, this match? Betsy Trotwood and Sancho Panza. Betsy Trotwood and Sancho Panza. Mr. Kieran. I do not think so. I think they would uh, fight horribly Why? because he loved his donkey and she hated donkeys and ordered them chased whenever they appeared in front of her house. That's right. Where do you find Very Betsy good. Trotwood, find, Well, you'll find Aunt Betsy Trotwood and David Copperfield. Yes. And you'll find Sancho Panza, of course, and Don Quixote, and it would have been a failure. Unless, Mr. Bromfield, you think that would have been a success. You think it would have been? Well, the don- I think that would have been very bad, because Betsy was a very practical woman, too. The well, donkey is a prig. <laughs> <laughs> the donkey isn't involved in the marriage. <laughs> just get donkey just to get them together on this question, that's all. How about this one from A.A. Van Riper of Flushing, New York? Let's get all on this. With what war, or general, do you associate the following? The old guard you associate with what, General? Mr. Bromfield? Napoleon. Uh, what Waterloo. was the old guard? It was, it was held out at Waterloo. Uh, yes. And surrounded. It was the last uh, group that remained loyal to Napoleon also. Do you deny that, Mr. Kieran? Well, I wouldn't say Napoleon. I would say uh, General Cambron. I would. Yes. Why would you say that? Because he was the one who was in command of the old guard. Napoleon commanded... All his armies. But Cambron yeah. was the commander of the old guard at the final stand at the Battle of Waterloo and shouted the unprintable word which is preserved in <laughs> Les Miserables by Hugo. Well, there's another bestseller just made overnight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Mr. This, Adams? I don't think it was unprintable. He said the old guard dies but never surrenders. You didn't read the word. <laughs> uh, now, the, the taxi cab army, gentlemen. Uh, what general do you associate? Mr. Adams, with that your hand up? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. General Foss. No. no, you got the no. wrong general. Mr. Uh, Levant. Uh, Joff. No. Joff. Yes. Joff. No, Guro. Right. Now we're all mixed up in our generals. Guro was here. the one who led it, though. He went to the aid of Joff. But the, but the, the head man was Joff. Yes, when did all this happen, Mr. Bromfield? In 1914. Yeah, so it was really Guro's army. It was Guro's army. He but went to the aid of Joff. With the aid of Joff. I think I'd accept either one. I said Joff. the command of Guro. But not, not Fush. I, I really think we have to count that wrong, Mr. Adams. That's wrong. Now, Mr. Adams, who is connected with the taxi cab army? Let's see if you can remember. General Joffre. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> One wrong. Now, the 10th Legion, General. Uh, gentlemen, you associate with what general? Mr. Kieran. I think that was uh, J. Caius Caesar. Yes. Uh, was it one of his favorite legions? That's right. He placed special reliance on it. Well, that gives us only two out of three, sending $57 in war bonds and stamps to Mr. Van Riper and a set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, here is one coming up from the new dean of Columbia College, Dean Harry J. Carman. Mr. Bromfield, you're a Columbia man, are you not? That's right. Well, this is a chance to learn something from the dean. Uh, what two methods of attack may be used by these farm animals? The dean wants to know. What uh, methods of attack may be used by a horse? Mr. Bromfield? Well, a horse can kick with his hind feet or his front feet or it can bite. 
Kick or bite? Mr. No. Kieran, any objections to that? No, not any. It uh, can spit, too. <laughs> Some horses do. Uh, how about a hen or rooster? What two methods of attack might be used, uh, Mr. Levant? It wakes you up. <laughs> That's the Well, it naturally, it flies at you with its uh, claws. I don't know anything about a hen. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Brownfield, can you help out? Well, Mr. it also Levin? pecks. It pecks and uses its uh, uh, spurs. That's affectionate when he pecks. They'll fight Not that kind of peck. And if it's a, a turkey, he'll fight with his wings, too. Chickens with its, with, with its wings? Too. Is that so? Yeah. They, they, strike, they strike with their feet, wings. don't they? Yeah, they strike with their feet. A swan or a, a swan will use its feet, its beak, and its wings. It'll break your leg with its wings. Dangerous turkey on a farm, with isn't it, Mr. Brownfield? Uh, how about... It was a very perilous life on a farm. You don't know what happened. You better stick around here. How about, <laughs> how about a cow? How does a cow... You know what a cow is, Mr. Levant. Mr. Kieran? Well, a cow will uh, use its horns if it has any. It will also kick, but it doesn't kick the same way that a horse does. For instance, a cow with its uh, hind foot kicks forward. And you'll find that out if you're milking. It'll kick backward, though, too. Well, yes, it has a shorter, much shorter kick to, backward than a horse. Kicked all the teeth out of one of my dogs the other day. Are you fellows through with these stories about your pets? <laughs> And what else does it do besides kicking, Mr. Kieran? Is there anything else that a... Uh, kicking, that a... yes, it'll uh, buck at you. Yes, it'll, it'll butt you with, the, with your head. Well, that gives us three out of three. Now, an entirely different type of question is sent to us from Buffalo, New York, by one Christopher Burke. It's addressed to our Heinz reporter, Ben Grauer. Suppose you give us the question, Ben, and the answer. Well, the most unusual thing about this question is the fact that it comes from a young man, five months old, transmitted by his mother. But it's an interesting question, and one that's important to some three and a quarter million young Americans born this year. Christopher Burke wants to know why I spend all my time talking about the Heinz varieties for grown-ups, but never get around to mentioning those delicious, fine-tasting foods that Heinz puts up especially for the babies. Of course, we know that quite a large proportion of our Information Please audience may not have young babies, but we're all interested in good food. And Heinz baby foods are a fine example of the way in which scientific research, quality ingredients and what you might call loving care, combined to produce the tastiest and best foods that ever added joy to a dinner table. So we thank you, Christopher Burke and your mother, for your kind words about Heinz baby foods. We're glad you're getting along so well on them. Your soldier father must be very proud of you. We'll act on your suggestion and tell folks a little something about Heinz baby foods and about the Heinz tradition of quality that stands back of them and all Heinz 57 varieties. Thank you, Ben Grauer. Now, gentlemen, try this one from Olive L. Rowell of Holden, Massachusetts. In each of the following passages from songs that are going to be played, a parent is being addressed by a child. You're to tell us whether it's a son or daughter that's doing the addressing and which parent, mother or father, is addressed in each case. Is that quite clear? All right, let's have the first. Get two out of three on this. Mother. Mother? Quite right. And good mother, good morrow. Good mother, good morrow. It's from what? Uh, I'll answer. And who is addressing the mother? Strephon. Uh, Strephon. Uh, being, being a masculine or feminine name, Strephon? Strephon is a masculine name, and he says, good morrow, good mother, good, good morrow, good mother. Well, he says, good morrow, good mother, good mother, good morrow. That's right. Uh, now the second one. Familiar to anybody? Yeah, I know that. Nothing. I can't think of it. No. Uh, 
Is that a popular song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lately? Like, I think reasonably. Any yeah. idea? Is Sounds that like a, a, a woman? It's, uh, a it's woman? Uh, Rudy Valley, I think, adapted it from an Italian song about the butcher boy. Remember? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it go? Yum, pum, pum, pa, yum, pa, dum, pa, dum. It's uh, uh, the, the, wa- the girl wants to marry a butcher uh, for black market reasons, obviously. <laughs> Old mama get that man. Yeah, yeah. Would yeah. be a good idea, something. Very yeah. good idea. She uh, addresses her mother. Well, we got that wrong. Uh, Why? Why did we get it wrong? <laughs> oh, we did get it wrong. We didn't get anything. <laughs> How about the third? Maybe we can do better on that one. Well, that's very easy. That's Mein Vater, Mein Vater. It's the son, dying child in the Earl Koenig. Very good. Who wrote the song? Uh, Schubert. 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 That's quite right. Was that right, Mr. Wright? Well, as long as he said it was easy, it's right. You got two out of three on that. Now, let's try this one. From Mrs. Leo Creed of Youngstown, Ohio, can you recite a line of poetry about each of these? A heathen, a pagan, and an idol. First, a heathen. Mr. Kieran. Wasting Christian kisses on a heathen idol's foot. Well, you've got from your, an idol made of mud. You've got your idol and your heathen in one line. Uh, thus answering two parts at once. Mr. Adams, what were you going to say? What is the other pagan? Yeah, pagan. How about that? Pagan. Uh, a pagan in a world outworn. Pagan love song. Uh, <laughs> pagan suckled in a creed outworn. Uh, that's it, approximately. Great God, I'd rather be a pagan suckled in a creed outworn. From whom? Who wrote the lines, Mr. Kieran? Words, words, words. Yeah, sounded on nature. Any other? Can you give us another line of poetry with the word idle in it? Mr. Adams? Tears, idle tears. I know <laughs> not what they mean. I won't take it. we better pass right on to the next one. <laughs> Miss Mary Castle of Chicago uh, sends this one in. How did these unusual gifts recently make the news? The first gift, let's get two out of three on this. The first gift is the works and letters of Thomas Jefferson. How did that come into the news, Mr. Brumfield? Well, the New York Times, in conjunction with... Princeton University is bringing out an edition of the complete works and papers of Thomas Jefferson as memorial to Mr. Ox, the former owner of the Times, who's not dead. Yes, that's exactly right, and it probably will be a monumental edition. How about a gift of a sword that recently made the news, Mr. Levant? Mr. Churchill gave a sword to Mr. Stalin at Tehran. At uh, Tehran, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, why, why a sword, <laughs> particularly? What was symbolic about it? Stalingrad, the standard Stalingrad, uh, which is a symbolic of, uh, well, you know about Stalingrad. They resisted heroically, and it turned the whole tide of the uh, German offensive. Yes, into, there was uh, a particular reason why, Mr. Kearns. The steel city. Yes, well, and also the steel-hearted citizens. It was uh, King George who actually sent the true, gift, yeah. and I guess it yeah. was Mr. Churchill who delivered it. And how about a milch cow that recently made the news? A milch cow. Uh, Mr. Levant. The doctor, for some unknown reason, Arthur Rajinsky, who was 50 years old today, <laughs> the conductor of the Philharmonic, the board gave him a cow. Why did they do that? The board must be nuts, if you ask me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Well, no, the real reason is that Mr. Rajinsky is a friend of mine, has... Has a farm up in Vermont, and he used to have goats, and they were too tiresome, so he's given up goats and gone into dairy business. <laughs> that isn't the goats' version. <laughs> <laughs> they had goats, but they've given them up. They well, doesn't, doesn't Mr. Rodzinski uh, breed goats? I thought he did. He did, but they, uh, the last I, time I saw Madame Rodzinski, she said they were getting tired of goats. And were going they had, uh, uh, yesterday they had goulash at Rodzinski. That I know. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> goat goulash? <laughs> Mr. Kieran, Oscar's story is that the goats objected. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the cow that Mr. Rodzinski got for being a conductor? What'd you say? What's the name of the cow that Mr. Rajinsky got for being a conductor? The cow's got a name, too? Certainly the cow's got a name. It's pedigreed. Beethoven. I don't know. No, not a chance. Tulip. 
Oh, yeah, tulip. Why, yeah. certainly, tulip. That gives us three out of three. Try this one from Mary E. Mann of St. Paul, Minnesota. Name an artist who painted a famous picture of a postman. Famous picture, Mr. Kieran. Van Gogh. That's right. Very good, Mr. Kieran. What was the name of the picture, do you know? The picture? Yes, no. the, uh, the postman of Arles. Uh, you post- mean the man's name? Yeah, remember the, you don't have to remember this. No, Mr. I Kieran. can't think Roulin. of it. Roulin. Roulin. That's right. Mr. I was going to say the postman rings twice. <laughs> now, <laughs> rings just once on this show. Now, how about a washerwoman, an artist who painted a famous picture of a washerwoman? I know a composer who did it. Ireland, John Ireland. Painted a picture? Portrait of a washerwoman, is called. You mean the, the music? Is yeah. It? Is that so? Oh, what does mm. it sound like? You played on a washerwoman? Very charming. Charming thing. It's the yeah, piano. Mr. Mr. Brownfield? Well, I would say Degas. He painted two or three pictures. Yes, he washing. did. Quite right, Mr. Brownfield. All Laundresses and ironing and washing and all that. Right. And Daumier also. Daumier also. Apparently, the French artists were nuts about washerwomen. How about the one who painted a famous picture of a blacksmith? A blacksmith. Mr. Brownfield. It's Manet, I think. You have me there. I don't think uh, so, but I may be wrong. No, I think there is a, a Monet picture of a black... I, I wouldn't... I remember having seen it, and I might have been it's wrong. It's possible. There is a more famous one, at any rate, by Mr. Adams. Uh, it might be Titian. I don't yeah. think so. Is there is a Titian picture of there is Vulcan. Vulcan. That sounds right. If He, he certainly did that's make right. a, a right. picture of Vulcan, <coughs> the, the god. That's quite right. No, Frank's right about uh, Goya's The Forge is a famous picture no. showing blacksmith surrounded by the implements of his trade. You've often heard our nutrition expert... Ben Grauer, tell of the importance of a proper diet for your family. But no one knows the value of a proper diet more than a soldier who lies wounded on a hospital cot. It can be his way back to health. And tonight, Ben has a serious message from those thousands of sick and wounded men to every woman dietitian in our audience. Yes, ladies, from Africa, Italy, and the South Pacific, thousands of lads who have fallen while fighting your battles ask you to help them on the road to recovery. They ask you to serve as dietitians in the Army Medical Corps at home, abroad, and on hospital ships at sea. Uncle Sam urgently needs dietitians now. If you hold a degree with a major in institutional management or food and nutrition, if you have completed an approved dietitian's training course or have had two years' experience as a dietitian in an approved hospital and are under 45 years of age, you'll be commissioned a second lieutenant in the Army of the United States. Even if you have had less experience and training, you may enroll as a student or apprentice dietitian and get your commission after completing a training course. So, ladies, answer this urgent call from your boys in uniform. Write to the Surgeon General, U.S. Army, Washington, D.C. Remember, Uncle Sam needs you now. Thank you, Ben Grauer. Gentlemen, try this one now from Leo Nathan of San Diego, California. I'm going to read a sentence in which certain phrases suggest the name of a card game, and you are to name the card game. Well, I'll start you off with the answer to the first part just to illustrate the idea. Here's the sentence. Uh, a woman with a dead pan, wearing a jewel and carrying a weapon, ordered a drink. Now, a dead pan would suggest what in the way of a, of a poker game? Face. Poker, poker face. Poker face, yeah. which would suggest uh, the game of poker. Right. Now, there are certainly three other phrases in that sentence, which I will now would reread. Yeah. A woman with a dead pan, wearing a jewel and carrying a weapon, ordered a drink. Mr. Levant. Gin is the last one. Order to drink. Absolutely right. Gin. Yes. Yeah. Gin or yeah. uh, gin rummy. Gin rummy. Right. Very good. Uh, and that leaves us with two other phrases to associate with card games. Do it once more, please. Uh, getting easier and easier the longer <laughs> I, the more I read it. A woman with a dead pan wearing a jewel. It's getting to be a pretty banal story. A woman with a dead pan <laughs> wearing a jewel and carrying a weapon ordered a drink. A weapon must be something. That right. a boy. Now, what <laughs> does it bring to mind? Weapon. Weapon. Uh, weapon. Well, Mr. Kieran. Mr. Brown. Well, Michael, I think it's a club, which isn't a game. Uh, no, it's a thing <laughs> pursuit, mister. Might be darts. Darts. That's not a card That's game. That's a game. 
You mean a card game? I say hard. card game. Yeah. Not you can play darts. Hop, I know uh, the jewel that might be hearts. There's a game called hearts. That's right. But that's not a jewel. Well, no. if you're in love and you give a jewel, it's complicated. Oh, you no, that. I know. There's too much association yeah. there. Jewel should uh, should suggest what card game? It's a diamond. Something with diamonds. Well, now what card game is suggested by Jewel, gentlemen? You want me to go over and write this on the board for you? It's solitaire. Solitaire. Of course. That's well, not a game. That That's when you're having self-pity and nobody's around. That's when you're having self-pity and no one's around. No, uh, you should have gotten that. Now we have weapon to get. Weapon. That's not pinochle, it's not bridge. No, blackjack. 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 Yeah. Oh, that's blackjack. We did pretty good on that. <laughs> Mr. Nathan is crazy He wore it out. He gets $57 in war bonds and stamps and a set of the Britannica. Jewel, Mr. Adams, should suggest what game? <laughs> I still don't know. That's what I figured. Solitaire. Now, how about this one for Mrs. A.E. Porter of Danville, Kentucky? What is unknown in the lines from poetry or song that include these words? I know not. I know not what? You have to conclude the quotation, Mr. Adams. I know not Barcelos Bedoyton. <laughs> right, because you have to use two languages to get it right, but that's quite right. What does that mean in English? Uh, yes? I know not what course others may take. Say, that's very good, too, yes. by golly. That gives us two no-nots. Yes, Mr. Kieran? Well, I know not what it means that I am so sour, sorrowful. That's right. What's right. your language, Mr. Kern? Pardon, uh, Mr. Levant? I know not what time it is. That means I don't know what time it is. <laughs> you just made up that quotation, did you? Well, what... well we got enough no-nots. I never knew. What is unknown in the... I never knew, Mr. Levant. That's a song. How's it go? I, I know it's a song. It is a song. You're right. Now, how does it go, Mr. Bromfield? Uh, oh, he ought to know that one. You're all smiles a second ago, Mr. Brownfield. I know, but it's gone now. I never, I never knew, knew how much I well. I never knew how much I know. I'll I never... could love you. I never knew uh, I could love somebody. Anybody. Anybody. As much as I loved you. That's right. I don't think you should get full credit on that. How about nobody knows? Nobody knows nobody what? Knows the Mr. Adams. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> yes, from the famous spiritual. And now try this one from Emily Hall of Los Angeles, California. This is about people who threw spears. Who threw a spear at a horse? Horses keep propping up on this program. Who threw a spear at a horse? Oh, this is in legend. Ben? No. Ben? Ben Hurt? No. no. I didn't say anything. No. I was whispering. No. You're just mumbling, Mr. Uh, one Mr. of the uh, Trojans threw a spear at the wooden horse. Quite right. Who was? I've forgotten his name. Want me to tell it to you? Yes, Carlos? I love it. Laocoon? Laocoon. Yeah, that's the Probably problem. his sons helped him uh, through smaller ones. Pierced the wooden horse. Concentrate. Uh, uh, how did how did he? Ha why did he do that? He suspected it. He, was he right? He certainly was. The famous Trojan horse. Yes. Now, how about somebody who threw a spear at a tenor? Threw a spear at a tenor. David the King threw a spear at a musician, didn't he? Somebody threw one at him. Saul threw. No. I don't know. Saul threw one at David. Yeah. Yes, but that's not a tenor. Well, he was a singer, yes, David. He was, the harp he, you're wrong. He was playing the harp. How do you know he was a tenor? Because it says so in Elmer Davis's book. That he was a tenor? Yes. Is it really? Yes. Incidentally, Elizabeth Bergner appeared in the play You Can Make Him a Soprano. She played the part of David by Barry. I have to change the whole question to make it a soprano. Mm. Uh, also in Parsifal, doesn't somebody throw a spear at, uh, oh, at Parsifal? Who is that? That's right. That would be... Uh, Klingsor. Klingsor throws it at Parsifal. How about somebody who threw a spear at his son? I know that one. Very good. Uh, Wotan threw one at uh, Hunding, and Hunding threw one at Sigmund, and then uh, the whole thing. Take it, Everest. They were a little bit drunk there for four nights. <laughs> I have as drunk as you sound. It's, uh, it's Rustum who threw the, threw the sword at Sorab. Uh, yes, you were going to say that, Mr. Yeah. Brown. What's the matter with my Wotan routine? Well, was it his son that he threw it at? 
They were all sons of Wotan. Oh, not everybody couldn't be a son of yes, Wotan. Yes, sir. All right, I'll take it. That uh, does not send $57 more bond and stamp, but that's all we'll have time for. Thank you, Mr. Bromfield, for helping in the celebration this evening. Tonight, the H.J. Hines Company has paid out $114 in bonds and stamps and two sets of the encyclopedia. Next week, Mr. Kieran and Mr. Adams will be here. And in addition, our guests will be the distinguished author and lecturer, Christopher Morley. And to celebrate the reopening of Congress, we'll present the representative of the state of Washington to Congress, the Honorable John M. Coffey. Join us again as we bring you exciting thrills and adventure, rip-roaring comedy, and shoot-'em-up westerns and gangbusters. Next time, when your imaginations will be invited into the theater of the mind with WBW Theater.